Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. We're coming off a bye week. Uh, a lot of rest for the boys. A lot of rest for us. We're well-rested. We're ready to podcast. And maybe most importantly, we've figured out why I sound like a demonic troll during some of these podcasts. Yeah, one two-hour podcast, three recording devices later. We're ready to preview New Hampshire. We're ready to dive into it. Um, but yeah, I think the, the story of today's podcast is that Bennett finally figured out that it was his computer. And then we went to a second computer that Wi-Fi was the worst Wi-Fi in the history of humankind. And then from there we went to his phone and now I think we have it figured out. Yeah, we're going to roll the phone for a little bit, see what happens. I am due for a new laptop that is not this work laptop. So I think, uh, I think it's time for me to become a Mac user. I think we'll get to that point and hopefully then the, the mic will work and all the good shit will work. So, Fingers crossed. I mean, my Mac never has made me sound like a demonic troll for all I know. Um, people aren't in our mentions telling me I sound like one. So, If you've made it to this podcast and you've still come back with the intention of listening after hearing well, every five minutes, kudos to you. Last week was our most listened to podcast. It might not have... <laughs> It might, might not be all time, but after one week of listens, it's the highest, um, if that makes sense. So we had the most people listen to you being a demonic troll. So I'm expecting this maybe this podcast might be our least listened to. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what the numbers are. It, it wasn't great. Um, Hopefully we got it fixed now, but yeah, it was a struggle for sure. I listened back to it. It was kind of hilarious. I know it had been an issue in the past, but I feel like last week's was maybe the most prevalent, yes. partially because I did a one hour guest interview, <laughs> right? Like if you had done that, I think a podcast probably would have been a lot better. So, um, but it looks like we finally got it fixed. So people can, can hear us ramble about this without any uh, weird, you know, blowing out your headphone kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. Well, speaking of bad performances, UNH. We're tra- Jamie's traveling up to Durham, New Hampshire, I believe is where they play. Um, and New Hampshire's coming off not just a loss to FBS opponent Pitt, um, but a 70-point loss. So let's kind of dive into the preview. I mean, if we were handicapping this, I think Jamie's probably 20, 25, 20, 
probably a three score winner. And if you're handicapping it, um, three score favorite. So I guess we can start. I, where do you want to start when it comes to New Hampshire? Let's start with New Hampshire's results, which I think are so they're ranked, I guess, technically oh, no. right in the top 25. I don't, I don't think Rhode Island's ranked. And if I'm being biased, I think Rhode Island should be ranked over New Hampshire. Like any day of the Are week. they not? The the stats poll I saw, Rhode Island was not ranked. Let me while oh, you talk, while you talk I'm gonna um, figure this out. Yeah, so let's let's take a quick little dive into the the results. So I bet them in week one, which is why I know this, but they played Stony Brook on a Thursday, September second. They had two touchdown drives. I mentioned this multiple times, I think, on the podcast, um, which is a very classic podcaster thing to say. Oh, I previously said this on our podcast. Before you listen to, <laughs> um, but they had two touchdown drives that were fewer than five yards against Stony Brook, and still only won by six points. So it was kind of a game where Stony Brook handed New Hampshire a bunch of points. Stony Brook, it turns out from what we've kind of seen, is not very good. So a six-point win where Stony Brook gifted New Hampshire a bunch of points. Wasn't overly impressed with that matchup. The next week they were at home and they beat Towson by 12. I don't really think Towson's all that good. So a 12-point win over Towson, whatever, like they got the job done. And then the next two weeks are kind of where I've, I've been a little concerned with New Hampshire is uh, they beat Lafayette by six points in kind of a low-scoring game, just not overly impressive again, but still 3-0. And then they go up against a pit team where they're certainly expected to lose um, I think they were 23 and a half point underdogs. Um, and I saw that line on BetMGM and I, I hammered it and it eventually moved to minus 30, which was maybe a little closer, but they lose by 70. Like 70. They had no business. Like, se- that's so many points. That's so many points. And this, like the rant that I kind of had today is, is that, you know, Pitt won 77 to seven. And there's always a lot of talk with FBS, FCS games when the team loses to kind of just push it aside and throw it away because it's an FBS team and, you know, whatever. I don't think you can totally throw away the data point. Like if you lose to any other football team and Pitt's not Alabama, but if you lose to any football team by 70 points, to me, that's alarming, especially if you haven't looked that good in the first three weeks and you made the point before we came on that like if JMU and Pitt played, there's a non-zero chance that game was competitive. Like yeah. I think that would be a dog fight a little bit. So then obviously the transitive property isn't a perfect way to, to analyze football. But if you lose by 70 points to a team, you weren't even competitive. The total yardage differential is disgusting. Um, it was 707 to 160. I mean, they just got destroyed throughout the entire game. Like, I don't think New Hampshire is a very good football team is basically the point I'm making. Yeah, 100%. I don't either. And I think Jamie fans have been kind of kind of keyed in on it that the, the biggest opponent, like last week or I guess two weeks ago now, the biggest opponent wasn't necessarily Weber State. It was the travel to Ogden. This week, it's not New Hampshire. It's the travel up to New Hampshire. And just to clarify what I was saying earlier, um, the FCS website, NCAA.com, where they have the top 25, was outdated because – the NCAA doesn't care about FCS football, and uh, they haven't updated it since last weekend's slate of games. Rhode Island's ranked number 21. New Hampshire is in the stats FCS top 25, that mouthful. New Hampshire's 25th. Um, but it's still just absurd to me that – granted, they're 3-1, and one, but a, a close game over you, – you, I mean, you went through it all. It, they don't deserve to be a top 25 team. You, you squeak out a win against Lafayette, even if it's at Lafayette. That's not good. And – I mean, 
And if you even go back to 2020 and that, and that weird spring season, they lost to Albany. And at the time, we thought Albany was a good team. But then after Albany played a couple more games in the spring, we quickly realized that Albany was not a good team. And then you kind of look at UNH. They didn't play another game in 2020. They then canceled their – I guess it's 2021. The whole years make no sense to me with last season. Right. Um, and then UNH doesn't play another game. So their sample size last season was one game against a bad Albany team in which they lost. And now they've come out and they've played a bad Lafayette team. And I say bad because I believe they're in the Patriot League. And if you're a CAA team that claims it's at the top of the CAA, you shouldn't be squeaking out Patriot League wins. Don't come at me about Colgate. That's a different story. <laughs> but I mean, you're just squeaking out these wins. And Towson, we have now quickly learned, isn't a good team. We've also learned that Stony Brook isn't a good team. So they just have these weird wins. I don't know why I put air quotes. They are wins. But if UNH <laughs> is, a, is a top-tier CAA team, you should be winning by three, four, five scores. And then you shouldn't lose to Pitt by 70. Yeah, I mean, I think New Hampshire has a very legitimate chance of making the playoffs because their schedule is horrendous. Like, if you look at it, they avoid some really good football teams on this schedule. Uh, they don't play many good teams, so I think they've got well, a really good chance. Let's go through it real quick. Next up after Jamute's Dartmouth, then at Elon. So two more wins after assu – we're assuming they're going to lose to JMU. So then they're three and two. Right. Then they win two more. They're five and two. Then you have Richmond, who – that's a toss-up. It's at New Hampshire. So let's say they win that. Richmond's been kind of like a upper-middle-class team, would you say? Right. Then you got Albany, who's bad. Rhode Island – I'm on the Rhode Island train, and that's at Rhode Island, so I think they lose that one. And then they finish the year out with a bad main team. So you're looking at a team that's, what, five, six, six, and seven, and four? I think, yeah, like they've got a legit shot to go seven and four with one of the losses being an FBS loss. Like, I think that gets and GMU and a top three team and like a top three yeah. team. So, I think there's there's going to be a case for New Hampshire at the end of the season, but I still don't think New Hampshire is all that good. So, I don't know. I just don't think this game is a massive challenge. They've lost, I think, three of the last four JMU has uh, at New Hampshire. It's a tough place to go play. That is. Um, mostly, we, mostly because it's kind of just like a sleepy atmosphere with not a ton of fans. It's a long trip. And they're not – like, the thing about New Hampshire is they're not like a horrible team, right? Like, they, if you make mistakes, they'll find a way to capitalize. My thing is just they haven't scored 30 points this year. They don't have a dynamic offense. They're kind of gutting out wins because they do take advantage of other teams' mistakes. But they've never had, like, an Antoine Wells going up on the outside against them this year, or unless you want to look at, like, what Pitt has, and they dropped and, 70 on them. Yeah, and, and then you look at it – they're kind of like Maine in that way in terms of they're not going to, oh, I mean, granted the main game is kind of weird, but like you think about when Maine played Delaware, they kept around, they took advantage of mistakes and then they kept it close right. against a good CAA team. Um, I guess we can probably talk about Delaware in a little bit as well because of some news that has surfaced around their quarterback, but new, yeah, New Hampshire's going to make you pay for mistakes. They have a good running attack. They have a running back, that averages 74 yards per game. Another one that averaged 44 yards per game. Um, Carlos Washington Jr. and Dylan Lobb. And that's been kind of like the UNH bread and butter. You know, they're going to run it a bunch. And they're going to just like boa constrict you and try to do that. 
And, I mean, they have a good quarterback, 63% completion rate, thrown one interception, eight touchdowns, 785 yards. I mean, they're good, but none, none of their stats, like, jump off. Like, when you look at Jamie, it's Antoine Wells, and you're like, what? He has six touchdowns through this, through three games? Or So, I mean, they're a competent, competent offense with a defense that has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven interceptions and three forced fumbles with only – with two of them being recovered. So, I mean, you're looking at that. That's nine turnovers they force on the scene. That's pretty good, an opportunistic defense. We'll see, but I, I, Cole Johnson hasn't thrown an interception this season. He's been really good with the football. The running backs, I don't think, have fumbled it much. I, I don't know if there's been necessarily more than two turnovers by the JMU offense so far this season. So it's going to be who bends, who breaks. Um, I don't think JMU's going to bend or break. Yeah, I mean, it's just a it's a team that will take advantage of mistakes, but they're not, like, in the national title picture. So I think, you know, Jamie would have to play poorly. New Hampshire would have to play really well for it to kind of be competitive, which sometimes has happened yeah. uh, when you go up to Durham. So we'll see what happens there. But is there anything in this stretch I feel like we should reset? I was, I was curious your thoughts. You got New Hampshire, Villanova, <laughs> Richmond, Delaware. We penciled sort of circle this stretch as, uh, as tough coming into the season. Do you still think it's tough? Like, could they drop a game in there? I mean, even the stretch going back to Weber State, but then the bye week's in there, so it makes the stretch a little bit right. easier. I was, I, w- I was big on the stretch. You were big on the stretch. Our friend Dom was big on the stretch that if we come out of this with just one loss, we're a national title contender. I'm going to tell you right now, they better not lose a game. The way they played against Weber State going to Ogden and just kind of beating them down, and now you have New Hampshire, who is a ranked opponent but doesn't feel like a ranked opponent. You got to win that. Villanova is looking good. They just kind of put 21 unanswered points to, to kind of not throttle, but really milk out the win two weeks ago against Villanova. I wasn't really keyed into the CAA this last weekend, mainly because it was all FBS games and nothing really mattered. Um, you got at Richmond, which is Bridgeforth East. And then Delaware, who it's been announced today that their quarterback is day-to-day, week-to-week. They don't know. They think he's going to play again this season, but they're not sure how often. It's all a weird situation surrounding Nolan Henderson down at Delaware. And granted, they didn't let him, you know, take over the game and throw 30 times and let his legs do the work and and all that. They kind of took the ball out of his hands and ran it more. But even without Nolan Henderson, I think that game, Delaware may even miss the playoffs now because going to a backup quarterback this way in the season. So. This is my long-winded way of saying the stretch doesn't really scare me anymore. Yeah, I, I kind of am on the same page. I think JMU's got a good chance to get through it undefeated. I think the the middle ones now are actually kind of seeming a little better than I thought. Yeah. Like Villanova, it's like they're a, a decent team. I think playing Villanova at home helps a lot. They've come close to getting JMU a couple times. They have, but it feels like every – and I know we talk about this every time. They start the season really well. We circle the game. They play a really good first half of football. Something happens in the second half. I'm thinking of the MJ Hampton pick six while they were driving and like threatening to take the lead, and then the game just kind of broke open on that play. The Latrell Palmer 80-yard run, all these different things. And then Villanova just kind of crashes and burns for the rest of the season. Um, so, I mean, I hope that's a great game, and it is very beneficial that it's at home. I just don't have trust in Daniel Smith and company. 
it's already sold out too, which is awesome. I think JMU fans are kind of getting ticked at how many road games there are in a row. And they're like, all right, like <laughs> give me my one shot to get there. I mean, I was, I kind of, I'm in Virginia for the next couple of weeks and I was trying to get over there and watch a game. And then the second they announced that tickets were on sale, I saw the graphic that it had been sold out. And I was like, all right, I'm probably not going to buy those tickets on StubHub when I could have gotten them for $25. So I'm going to just walk yeah. On Flow Sports. <laughs> Flow Sports, baby. Let's go. No, but I, I'm interested with this Villanova team because, like, they've got the game coming up against JMU. Um, it looks like they actually have a bye this week, which could be very beneficial for them. Yeah. Uh, just come off a, a game against Penn State, so that's good competition to get used to playing good, good teams. I like their schedule. I like how their schedule sets up um, with some of the, the tougher games. they got Rhode Island at home. Uh, they end the season at Delaware, which will be tough, but – like, I think they could be a legitimate playoff team and a team that actually does a little damage. Uh, I think they've got some pieces that are pretty good. The issue is, you know, like you mentioned, kind of consistency as the season goes on and as games go on with them, it feels like it, it wanes a little bit. But I'm, I'm still waiting for them to take a step forward and feel like, once again, maybe this is the year uh, that they do it. So I'm, I'm still interested in this four-game stretch because the last four um, are Our such snoozers. Yeah. Yeah, those four really stink. So I'm hoping some of it is competitive and JMU can get something out of it, even yeah. if it's, you know, I'm not saying a loss is a good thing, but it wouldn't kill them. Uh, but if they have like a close call or a game where they have to kind of build a little bit um, of, of talent and adversity, just kind of getting used to going through those moments, it could be beneficial because they're going to enter the playoffs after smoking four teams. There, It's definitely, I, if there's going to be a game, that you circle and you're like there, this is going to be a close one. This is one I want to sit down and watch. It was Delaware coming into the season. I think now yeah. we're from Villanova. I mean, granted Villanova started their season against two, not good teams. Lehigh Bucknell absolutely throttled each of them. Then they played Richmond. And I talked about the 21 point kind of unanswered late. They won that one 34, 27. And then a, a, a competitive loss against, I mean, it's 38, 17, doesn't look necessarily competitive, but considering they're, I think they're the number, according to Villanova's website, they're number six. So, they're yeah, they're like a top five team now. Villanova added fourteen late, but it was still like they did some. There was some positives that I, they could take from that game. But I and think, Richmond, yeah. I was actually impressed with impressed with Richmond. Just to jump in real quick, they played villain. I mean, sorry, they played Virginia <laughs> Tech really close. Yeah, they did. They, they all they, there was talk around the FCS circles. I, I was seeing around like the third quarter or something. Like they could have. I think they were down maybe two scores and like they were, they had been driving and there was some hope that they may have, they could cap off the upset, but I mean, they didn't, but good for them. Yeah. They're, they're an interesting one to keep an eye on because they looked pretty solid in a couple, couple openers and found ways to win. And then like you were saying, they kind of had a win at Villanova potentially in their hands, gave it away. And then a close loss to Virginia tech. So they play Elon this week, which is a game they should, should probably win. And then, of course, they also have a bye week prior to playing JMU. So something I think to keep an eye on here. This is, this is jogging my memory. I think we talked about this in the offseason, <laughs> about how not only was this stretch so difficult just because of the teams they were facing, but because every team they were facing had a bye week the week before playing. Like I, for, Fortunately, Delaware plays on the 16th or before the 23rd. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of wild how you've got those multiple teams that are going to have – bye weeks two good ones Villanova and Richmond to get an extra week to prep and rest that's to me that's kind of substantial especially considering JMU has like decent CA teams before that yeah 
Um, do you think, I think Signetti, what, well, this is a dumb question because, of course, I don't think Signetti's ever lost a regular season game at JMU against an FCS <laughs> opponent. So he's undefeated coming off of a bye week. Um, and that's exactly what he is doing against New Hampshire. I wonder what his, uh, that was almost a stupid question too, because since he's undefeated against the regular season, he's undefeated <laughs> against teams who are coming off their bye week. <laughs> yeah, he's, he beats everybody, man. I mean, I guess, why don't we take a quick little uh, Signetti talk? Why don't, we haven't gone big picture in a while, but I know like coming into the year, there's always that little contingent of Jamie fans who are like, oh, like you won't take us to a national title. How impressed are you with just what he's done and what is this, season number three and his only losses are to the two national champions in West Virginia? Two like, North Dakota, North Dakota State won the national title and they lost to him. Sam Houston ends up winning the national title. Oh, 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 yeah. I, see, I was like, North Dakota State's yeah. only won it once. And I was very confused. Um, yeah, I think he's a great coach. I think, and I don't think he's leaving. Like, that, I think that's the part about Signetti that I really like is that you knew Houston was young. He had eyes for North Carolina and then ECU comes mm -hmm. calling and he goes. And But Signetti's a little older. He's kind of been at this level for a long time. I think he's kind of here to stay and I think he's a great coach. Um, big picture, I think he's one of the better coaches in the FCS. I wouldn't say he's the best coaching staff. I think he's a little too conservative at times. I think he runs the ball a little bit too much at times. I think he doesn't go for it on fourth down when you're, you know, in, in, in between the 240s in the second quarter and the game is one possession and it's fourth and three and you punt it. I don't agree with that. But he's an old school football coach. He's going to keep you in games. That conservative nature, you know, is the, the dual edged sword. It's going to hurt you and it's also going to help you. That conservative nature is why they were in the game late against West Virginia. It's why they were in the game late against North Dakota State. Um, there are downsides to him, but he's a good recruiter from everything that I'd seen. I mean, he has Julio Jones and Russell Wilson on his uh, resume. Um, probably brings that up go. every single time he recruits. But yeah, I think he's a good coach. I think he's, I think he's also put together a really good coaching staff. And I think he's a quarterback whisperer. Like, we don't talk enough. Ben DiNucci was good, wasn't great with Mike Houston. He, Signetti comes in and he turns him into the CAA player of the year in the seventh round draft pick who starts an NFL game for the Dallas Cowboys, um, which everyone saw coming, of course. And then he turns Cole Johnson into, I mean, before the break last season, Cole Johnson was a bad quarterback. And he's turned Cole into an elite-level FCS quarterback who probably is now going to get looks from NFL teams. Yeah, he's been playing great football. And now I'm just impressed with the program and where it is. Like, they just seem like they're going full steam ahead. Like, they didn't really let the COVID year throw them off too much. They had some struggles, but have still kind of kept going through it, which is interesting. And it feels like, I mean, it honestly feels like they've gotten more talk than like North Dakota State, um, at least from what I've seen with national circles, and probably because North Dakota State hasn't had a big game yet. So yeah. there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about that and like you beat Weber State. But yeah, I don't know. It feels like JMU's just keeps reloading and and uh, hopefully soon the Sun Belt will come calling. Yeah, I mean, I think the Sun Belt, I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. I mean, apparently the AAC is about to have, what, three yeah. teams join? I guess this is a good segue talking to realignment real quick. AAC is going to have like Air Force and Colorado State. Colorado State come to that, which Colorado State's not a good team. Uh, I don't want to be any, I don't want any part of the American. Like the <laughs> if they're adding Air Force and Colorado State and they also have East Carolina and South Florida, like it's the weird SMU. 
Like it's an incredibly strange geographic footprint that I don't think is going to be that temple. Like it's not going to be that good at sports either. So the Sun Belt, if they're going to move up JMU, it feels way better. I know I've seen some some fans still talking about the American. Like the American's probably going to have to get a new TV deal that's not as good because they're losing um, all these quality teams. I imagine ESPN would want to renegotiate or something like that. Like the Sun Belt has a chance to be positioned as the best group of five team. And I'm on the UVA beat. And UVA just agreed to a three-year deal with Coastal Carolina, and it's a two-for-one. So they'll make a trip in 2024 to Coastal Carolina. Like, that's a really cool thing for a Sunbelt team. Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, I think the Sunbelt is a better football – better sports conference right now. Like, yeah. especially with all the talks of who they're adding. I know JMU is an FCS school, of course, but I feel like adding them is better than adding Colorado State. But Let's check the, uh, let's check the Sagarin ratings, which people love to discredit. Uh, but I, I, I just love like to discredit except for Bennett Conlon, who lives on the Sagarian ratings and tweets it. And they're not they're not perfect, but they're fun to look at. Um, so let's see what we got here. Pulling up these bad boys. Where do you think JMU is? Well, last time we were seventy one. A bye week happened seventy three. They've stuck at seventy one. Oh, okay. The teams that they're near, I'll go from. So you go from 60, 66 is Virginia, uh, 69 is South Carolina, Texas Tech is 72, Minnesota is 74, Cal is 75. Like they're right in the mix with, with these, you know, power five programs. They're ahead of Northwestern and Duke. UVA uh, is 66 still? UVA's look bad. Yeah, but 66 isn't all that impressive. I mean, they're near Wyoming. <laughs> We're like a – for an ACC team that <laughs> started the year with a couple of blowout wins, they've struggled. I think JMU would give them a heck of a game if they were on the schedule. I think you so. tweeted this. Do, do you think JMU beats every single Virginia school right now? Um, no, probably not. I think Tech would would probably beat them. Tech's still a pretty pretty solid team, even though they've got some dysfunction. But I do think they'd be really competitive in every game. Like they would compete with Tech. They would compete with UVA. Uh, Liberty, I think, was way overrated. They just lost to Syracuse. I think people were kind of buying the Malik Willis hype, um, but they're not that good. So, like, yeah, I think JMU is one of the best football teams in the state, and they're at a 22 scholarship disadvantage from, you know, four or more of those. Yeah. That's, that was my favorite quote from Sig. Also, this I'll talk about this real quick on Signetti. I love how he doesn't use coach speak. Like, yeah, he'll tell you what he's thinking. Yeah. What are you thinking about recruiting? Well, if we move up, uh, we got plans <laughs> for that. And it's like, I don't think you're supposed to say that. But I love it as a fan. Um, I'm sure the communications department is like, God, just don't. No, stop. And where Houston was so coach speak all the time. Takes us back to um, his opening presser when he was like, should I tell the pig story? <laughs> He's, he's, he's kind of kept that vibe <laughs> the whole time with some good stuff. And, like, the tweets are funny, too, when people will be like, say, that is a potential name. And he's like, nope, <laughs> from his lazy boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sipping his scotch, no. <laughs> yeah, so I've enjoyed him as the coach. I have, too. It's been a good time. Well, do you want to move into something that um, we've all been waiting for? Uh, this is exciting. Why can't I find this week of action? All right, the CAA weekly pick em. I think we both had a loss last week, so that puts you with only two losses on the season. I think that puts me to well. six or seven losses on the season. 
No, I wasn't that far behind. I think five losses. You're all not that. I think five. I think five. I think you're three now. I will say I lost the sheet with everything on it, so I might have to go. We'll have to. Well, we'll have to go back and listen or split them up and count. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the season, when you only have two losses, I feel like you're going to want to tweet that and be like, "Guys, look, I know what I'm doing." I want to um, brag about my impressive streak. So first, Stony Brook travels to Rhode Island for a noon kickoff. That can be found on Flow Football. How you want? How you? What you picking? I think this is a big one for Rhode Island, um, because like they're right in the playoff mix. They seem like they're a solid team. Stony Brook's coming off a loss. It's a home game. Rhode Island just had a bye. Like you got to take advantage of this one. So I'm going to take Rhode Island, but it's the kind of game that like a, a mid-level CAA team that's not always a contender would drop and like would ruin their playoff chances. Yeah. So like this is one if you're Rhode Island. This game means a lot. You got to take care of this because you got Delaware next weekend. Like I think it's an important game, and I, I do think Rhode Island will win it. So Rhode Island's three and zero, two huge wins against Bryant and Brown, and by huge I mean thank you for beating them, and then an eager of a win against Albany. Stony Brook's not very good. It's at Rhode Island, and like you said, this is a game they need to win because then next week they're playing Delaware, um, and they have Villanova on their schedule. They also have New Hampshire. I know we just bagged on New Hampshire for a long, long time, but New Hampshire is a team that is still comparable to Rhode Island. I like you that Rhode Island needs to win this. I also think Stony Brook is not a good team in the least. Um, So I'm going to go Rhode Island, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm me hedging my bets. The the pick is Rhode Island, but I really wouldn't be surprised if Stony Brook like won a ugly 13-10 win. But I think Rhode Island, yeah, Stony Brook think Rhode Island wins. If they can ugly it up, that would be a, a good play for them. Elon travels to Richmond on Flow Football, and you can listen on 106.1 FM in Richmond. Very winnable for Richmond. Kind of need it because they've already dropped a couple. One of them, FBS, but like kind of need it because you got JMU coming up in two weeks. Uh, I think they'll get it. Elon just has not shown me much of anything that would make me feel confident in them and you add in you know travel on the road I think Richmond will will kind of cruise in this one I think Richmond is a good team in the CAA yeah like they're a good team and Elon is the opposite of that so Richmond's going to win this by two or three scores Albany they travel to Delaware this can be found on NBC Sports Philadelphia Plus and Flow Football who do you got I mean, Albany just kind of stinks. Like, there's yeah. there's no other way to slice it. The offense is kind of bad. The defense isn't all that good. Like, I haven't been impressed at all. Delaware, even with a backup quarterback, I feel like they'll play enough defense and run it to just, like, win 20-6 to six or something stupid. So, I think Delaware, this is probably a perfect game at home against Albany with a backup quarterback. That's, like, no better way to eat him into action. Yeah, Albany, the undercuffler is bad. Um, I was I bought the hype on him. I talk about it every week. Delaware can win. I mean, Delaware's defense is still great. Like, that hasn't changed. And they still have a good running back. That hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is the guy taking the snaps. And if, if Albany's rush defense is, is porous, then they can just run it 50 times and have their backup quarterback sling it 10 times. And that's fine, and that'll get a win. Delaware wins that one as well. JMU, New Hampshire. This one's in New Hampshire on NBC Sports Boston and Flow Football. Who do you got? 330 kick. I don't know if I said that. I'm going to say JMU 45 to 10. All right. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm going to say JMU. You said 35 to 10 or 45? 45. 
I'm going to say JMU 42, New Hampshire 17. Like a late touchdown where the backups are in. I think the Dukes are going to look good this week. I feel confident in them. I – this gives me shades of the year that they went up there and absolutely dominated them. When was that? I think 2016? Or was that the year they blew blew the 2016 was like the very near choke that sent a message that they needed to rally, and then they like went on a huge run and won the national title. Did they dominate them in Durham recently? That smoked there before. They beat him in the playoffs at home by a lot. Maybe They've I'm thinking of the 2016 game before the choke. Before the choke. They were kind of blowing him out. Um, all right. Anything else? This bi week podcast brought to you by Jamie Sports News. Did you see that um, the men's basketball team looks like they're going to play uh, the Celtics actually in, in November, which is really cool for them? On November 10th, they play Carlo University, the Carlo of Celtics. Um, unclear if that's an exhibition or if they're attempting to count that as a game or not. But I it would be that. very JMU to count it. Is that an NAIA school? It's got to be something. That was a classic, like, row move where it's like, hey, we're 4-0. It's like, yeah, with three D3 wins. Hey, I bought into that hype every single time. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. It was smart. It best start in however many years. I will say we should got to shout out men's soccer. They're eight and two. They've beaten UVA, Elon, GW. They beat. Uh, they scored the game winner, three two win with eleven seconds left. So they've been looking really, really good since that blowout loss to Marshall to open the season. Well, yeah, Marshall is also the defending champion. So Marshall's great. Marshall's a great program. <laughs> so we can't really, can't really discredit. I mean, not discredit. Can't really fault them for that too much. Um, and then also, Herzig, the uh, assistant coach for softball was named the D1 Assistant Coach of the Year. Wow. And That's very exciting. Clemmer. I don't know her first name. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Clemmer, C-L-E-M-M-E-R. She is the CAA Rookie of the Week in Volleyball. I think volleyball deserves a quick little shout-out. They're 9-3. and three. Um, a, Kind of a at the JMU Invitational, they went two and one, and then they rattled off a few wins, then lost to Ohio State, who's number four in the country in straight sets, and then lost to Charleston, and then just beat Charleston. It was a, a Saturday Sunday matchup. They got they're traveling to Elon uh, this weekend to take on the Phoenix, uh, but no solid, solid start. I think they're three and one in conference, three and two at home, four and zero oh away, and two and one on neutral sites. And did I just read that from the top of the volleyball landing page? I did. But another solid year for volleyball. And every year it seems like someone's being named to a CAA award. Women's soccer is making some strides. They've won a couple in a row. Schedule's getting easier. Although I guess Hofstra appears to be ranked number 11 in women's (laughs) soccer. Did not know that. So that sounds like it'll be a a big old test for them. But they've looked better of late. Had some nice showing, some room for for growth there for sure. Awesome. Any, Any other Olympic sports? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. All right. For Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.